sorry to hear the sister Anna slipped and fell. How's your wife doing, Brother Billy? Keep Sister Leslie in your prayers with her. Some of you may not have heard, but she, what, about a month ago, was bitten by a dog. Did some nerve damage in her right hand. Um, still healing, so pray that God will continue to strengthen her. Uh, my wife with her broken foot. We're just kind of shaking our heads when it rains, it pours. Amen. <laughs> Two verses, and then others to go along with it. Psalm 71, verse 20. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship. Doesn't that sound like fun? If you had a choice between hardship and living things easy, which would you choose? Just bring on the easy life, right? God, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship. But you will restore me to life again. And lift me up from where? From the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Can you say praise the Lord? God bless you as you're seated. Amen. I'm not going to hold you long today. This is nothing new, nothing earth-shaking. But um, God prompted my heart and reminded me that hardships are sometimes good things for us. I'm not going to go into the old tired uh, examples of like the bu- butterfly and the cocoon, right? It's not really a butterfly till it comes out of the cocoon, I guess. What is it before it goes into the cocoon? Caterpillar? What is it while it's in the cocoon? <laughs> a bug. <laughs> it goes to that transformative stage and then it fights its way out of the cocoon and suddenly this beautiful butterfly emerges. Those of you who are botanists um, or bugs, part of the bug scientist. Bugganist, okay. Those of you who are bugganist. <laughs> What is the purpose of what, what benefit comes from that now transformed caterpillar blossom little butterfly there? Why does it have to fight its way out of the cocoon? To get strength. It is the exercise of breaking out of the cocoon that strengthens that butterfly's new wings and teaches it that it can fly. Why do baby chicks have to peck their way out of the shell? Come on, come on. Why don't the parents, the mama, hen, peck peck that shell and get it out of the shell? Same reason. It needs to learn to fight through adversity. God created us with instincts that teach us In hard lessons sometimes, things that we need to know. Uh, I was reading the other day, I was reminded. um, Has anyone, do you know anything about giraffes giving birth? When giraffes give birth, the mother is standing up. How tall is a giraffe? 
pretty tall. The baby is not gently lowered to the earth. When the baby leaves its mother's womb, what happens to that baby giraffe? Ka-thunk. It falls six, seven, eight feet to the ground. Welcome to the world, right? What is the purpose of that? Anyone know? It starts that baby giraffe's breath as it hits the ground. That sounds cruel, but you know what? God and his wisdom knows how to design everything. Amen. And that rude entry into the world for that baby giraffe actually causes a reaction that gives life. I don't enjoy adversity in and of itself. But friend, God has a way of teaching us things that we need to know. And he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Amen. Come on, help me out. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's the good part. Amen. He leads me beside still waters. That's nice and peaceful. He... Restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Come on, help me out for his name's sake. And what's the very next verse? Yea, though I through the valley of the shadow of death. Where are the paths of righteousness leading us? Through the valley of the shadow of death. Not all of them. It's not just one path he leads us on. There are paths, this pearl. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And every now and then, one of those paths goes through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. You are with me. Here we go again, Lord. Why did I have to take this route? I don't like this route. It's like me getting at four, on 4.10 at 7 o'clock in the morning. No, Lord, and here we go again. Not this route. Look at all the traffic. Why couldn't I go an easier route? Because sometimes we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's where the paths of righteousness lead us. Amen. Thank God we'll fear no evil. He is with us. His right, his staff, they comfort us. Amen. And when we're done with that path, he leads us out into a place where he's going to set a table before us. That sounds good, right? Wait a minute. Where's that table sitting? In the presence of mine enemies. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful meal while my enemies are all around me snarling and drooling and trying to kill me. Sometimes blessings come packaged in ways that we don't understand or particularly enjoy. But God has a plan and a reason for it all. I don't believe that God micromanages our lives. I don't think that we are puppets on a string. There are some people that take this to an extreme and say, everything that happens, God let it happen, or God made it happen. I don't think that God caused my wife to trip off of a curb yesterday, roll her foot, and break her bone. I don't think God made her do that. Amen. At the same time, 
I don't think God told me or you to order combo number four at the McDonald's drive-thru. That was your choice. God doesn't micromanage us. But friend, He guides us. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. And sometimes as we step off of a curb, we step the wrong way and our foot rolls and we break a foot. Did God break my foot? No. But friend, God is still with me even with a broken foot. Amen. And if I choose the wrong combo at Burger King and get an upset stomach... Is it God's fault? No. But thank God He's merciful and He helps us out. Amen. He helps us work our way through life, through the situations that life comes and brings to us. And sometimes we make silly mistakes in life. Sometimes we make great decisions in life. Through the good times and the bad times, uh, He's still God. Amen. And He teaches us and He empowers us and He sustains us and we walk through life Who said it? Forrest Gump? Box of chocolates? We don't know what's going to come. Amen. It's going to be different, sometimes surprising every time. But God's in control through it all. Amen. For we know that how many things? 20%. 22%. 35% of things work together for good. Come on, help me out. Math majors. For we know that 62.3% work together for good. Yes? Somebody's got to know Scripture. Come on, you got to know the Bible a little better than that. Help me out. For we know that all things, that means 100%, all things work together for what? For good. To the sinner out in the world? No. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. Friend, we have a benefit. I've been preaching to you about the advantage that we have. Jabez's prayer is all about giving us a quote-unquote unfair advantage over this world. Hallelujah. God is able to bless us now indeed. God is able to expand our coast. Hallelujah. God is able to be with us. God is able to shield us from evil and from the grief and the sorrow that evil brings. God bless me now. Hallelujah. I want all things to work together for good. Praise God. That doesn't mean that that one thing is a good thing. Help me out, cooks. What is the most disgusting ingredient you've ever cooked with if it's eaten alone? Garlic. Don't you love garlic? Garlic can be delicious, unless you're a vampire. We won't go there. Garlic can be delicious. But have you ever taken a garlic clove and just chomped down on it? Mmm, isn't that delicious? <laughs> ah. Yeah, yeah. He's waking up. Amen. What else? Come on, what other ingredient? Think of an ingredient that taken by itself in quantity is just... Ah. Lard. Oh, have you ever taken a spoonful of lard, stuffed it in your mouth? <gasps> heaven? No, not heaven. Amen. Ugh, disgusting. 
Um, cinnamon. Cinnamon's good, isn't it? Please don't try the stupid thing going around TikTok years ago. The cinnamon challenge, trying to huff cinnamon. It can kill you, literally. But gently take a teaspoonful of cinnamon, gently put it in your mouth, and savor the wonders of cinnamon. I like cinnamon, but not a teaspoon of cinnamon. It's disgusting. So many things that we cook with that in and of themselves are disgusting, you take a little garlic and you mix it with a lot of other good stuff. And you know what? That disgusting ingredient, if taken alone, suddenly it becomes what? Good. For all things work together for good. Amen. And I'm telling you, sorry to use cooking, I'm not a great cook, but... um, you dump all the ingredients in the bowl, all the dry ingredients, sugar, salt, flour, whatever, all in one spot, and you take the eggs and the milk, and you dump it on top, and you don't stir it. It's kind of, that looks good. Dump it in the pan. Is it going to taste good? What needs to happen with those ingredients? They got to get mixed together. Amen. Is mixing a gentle process? No. In fact, usually involves something like an electric mixer because we're wimps anymore. We don't like to beat stuff by hand. So we get that electric mixer and those, what are they called? Beater blades. Yeah, that sounds gentle, right? You put the beater blades in the batter and you start beating it and mixing it. And if you were the batter, you would not enjoy the process. Amen. But it all comes together, and it mixes together, and it blends together, and it comes out fantastic because all things work. Say it together. All things work together for good. Friend, if you and I never had adversity in our life, our lives would be bland. Our lives would be disgusting. Amen. Face it, we need a little adversity from time to time. We need a little challenge. We need a little sorrow to temper our joy. Amen. We need a little bit of all of these things that God allows to come to us in the course of a normal life for all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. God, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship. I'm not sure if this is a Psalm of David or of Asaph. My Bible doesn't say this one. I don't know who's the writer. doesn't matter. God, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship. Come on, God, if you loved me, I wouldn't have to go through this situation. That's our default prayer. You can say amen. Be honest. That's our default prayer. God, if you really loved me, I wouldn't have to go through this. I'm a child of God. Why should I have to go through this? Sometimes God allows us to suffer Hardship, and not just suffer hardship, suffer much hardship. What is hardship? 
Come on, define it for me. Hardship. Go look in the dictionary if you have to. Everything going wrong. That's a that's a good one. Come on. What what is another definition of hardship? Adversity. What else? Someone found the dictionary. Good. Read that again. Severe suffering or privation. Severe suffering or privation. There's a word for you. What is privation? If you are being deprived, you lack something. Privation is going through a state or a time of lack, of loss. What do you lack sometimes? We lack money sometimes, do we not? Have you ever had all the money you ever wanted for everything in your entire life? How many times have you had to say to somebody, I'm sorry, I can't afford that? It happens, amen. Don't be ashamed to admit, I'm sorry, I can't afford that. It's okay to not be able to afford something. You don't have to default to maxing out your credit card because you want something. Amen. If you can't afford it, try not to buy it, please, unless it's an emergency. Uh, Privation. What is that again? Severe. Does that sound fun? Severe suffering. You're in the doctor's office or in the emergency room. And what's one of the first questions they ask you? What is your pain on a scale of 1 to 10? And you see those little (laughs) smiley face, frowny face, crying face. Crying, yeah. (laughs) Severe. That's 10 plus, right? (laughs) 10's not enough. I'm somewhere over here, guys. Severe. What is that again? Severe suffering or privation. Severe suffering or severe privation. It's not just that I don't have enough money. I don't know what it even looks like anymore. Severe privation. It's not that you don't have money to buy a Coke at Valero. You don't have the money to pay your car payment. You don't have the money to make your house payment. You don't rent. You don't have money to put gas in the car. You don't have money to buy food. You don't have money for anything. Not a lot of fun. I'm not telling you that hardship is fun. I'm not telling you that adversity is fun. Even any more than a whole garlic clove stuffed in your mouth or a teaspoon of cinnamon or a tablespoon of lard. Ooh, that one gets me. Amen. No, it's not fun. But friend, it has to come from time to time. And God allows us to suffer hardship. And not just hardship. Much hardship. I know you're already thinking about it. Do I need to mention Job? Everything was going good for Job. Everything was cruising beautifully for Job. Now, you know he had to have his troubles. You know he had to have struggles. Life is never perfectly smooth. But everything was going pretty good. And God 
allowed him to suffer not just hardship, much hardship. The devil came against that man with everything he could think of. And the devil had to get a little creative because you know what the devil likes to default to? Let's just kill him. I said, no, 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 no. Back off. No. You can't kill him. So devil, I'm going to let you do anything you want to, but you can't kill him. So the devil had to get a little creative and figure out all the ways he could use to make Job miserable. And he did a pretty good job. Amen. And Job suffered, friend. I never want to make light of the sufferings of Job because Job suffered in reality and in intensity in ways that I hope I never have to suffer. He suffered loss of finance. He suffered loss of family. He suffered loss of health. That pretty much sums it all up. The devil hit him as hard as he could, taking him right to the edge of death, where God said, nope, can't cross that line. Why would God do that? I can preach to you. I can pontificate about all the reasons why God would allow that. I know the reason God said, this man will not curse me. This man will not turn against me. And the devil said, ha ha, he only serves you because you protect him. God said, let's find out what the real case is. So I understand that. But how would God, who is a loving, just, merciful, and kind God, how could God allow Job to suffer what he did? My instinct, raising my kids, and even now they're grown adults, but whenever I have any influence in their life, my instinct is shield them from pain. And yet our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he allowed Job to suffer in ways that you and I, I hope, never have to understand. You've allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will. Say you will. This isn't a question, maybe. I'll come out of this okay. Maybe things will get back to normal. You will restore me to life again. Now, when the writer says that, he implies that in the suffering of much hardship, his life's over. Now, he's obviously not dead because he's writing this. But you and I can go through things where we feel our life's over. Amen? Come on, am I right? Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. And you look in the mirror and you say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today, much less tomorrow. If you're financially wiped out, ruined, how do you begin to put the pieces back together? Have you ever seen the destruction of a hurricane? How about a forest fire that ravages through the heart of a city? How about an earthquake that demolishes 
I sit there and I shake my head. Where do you even start to rebuild? Where do you even start when everything you know is rubble? We feel like our lives are over with, done, gone. The writer says, you allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again. I was going home yesterday, and it always happens there on Calabria 410. I heard just as the light, I was sitting in the red light, and people crossing in front of us, and I heard the rum, 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 rum. I said, oh, someone's running the red light, you watch, sure enough. This guy had to run the red light to get around the corner. And the reason I noticed it, because it happens all the time, right? It's like, oh, here we go. I noticed this was a 1950s-some-odd truck that somebody had restored. And it looked pretty cool. It stuck in my mind. Hey, I like. I didn't like him running the red light. But you know what? That's a cool truck. Before that gentleman restored that truck, I guarantee you, it didn't look great at all. Amen. Have you ever seen a bucket of rust rusting away at a junkyard? Oh, that's my dream car over there. Yeah, right. Someday, I keep telling my wife, I would love to restore a vehicle someday. I know nothing about it, but I would love to do it, I think, until I get into the hard work. But you know what? It boggles my mind to think of taking a rust bucket dismantled old heap of junk and bringing it back to its original glory. People don't see that for the most part. They just see that restored truck cruising down the road. Oh, that's a cool truck. But you didn't see the work that went into it. Oh, there's an old song that I love so much. If you had known me before I knew him, you'd understand why I love him. Friend, you don't know. I don't know your life. You don't know my life. But we all have gone through phases and times in our life where we probably said, God, I have no idea how I ever put the pieces back together again. But you know what? My God is able to restore us. Hallelujah. My God is able to put the pieces back together again. He's able to scrape off the rust, to to fill in the dents. Amen. That bondo sometimes, got to work with that. He knows how to put things back together. And when it gets done, my friend, you know how it used to look, but everyone else says, oh, that's a magnificent beauty. Oh, you're lucky to have such a beautiful thing. You don't know how much heartache went into that beauty. They just see the good things. And how many times people come to church and see people excited and happy and oh, praise God, what a wonderful thing. And that's good. But they don't know what went into that joy. There's suffering that goes into the joy. There's pain that goes into the restoration process. But glory to God, hallelujah, you will restore me to life again. And lift me up from the depths of the earth. What do the depths of the earth imply? Scripturally, what do the depths of the earth imply? Well, that's physical, but scripturally, hell. 
The scripture says that Christ descended into the depths. Amen. And he came out with the keys of what? Death and hell. And the grave, praise God. Amen. The depths of the earth imply hell. Imply the end of all things. But you know what? If we go down into the depths, God's going to lift us up. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I have a few more scriptures I want to share real quick. Amen. Um, I think there'll be a blessing. Again, not, not earth shaking. You'll know these very easily. But uh, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Will you please? Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Let me read it out of the New Living Translation. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Being made right with God brings peace, which passes all understanding. Amen. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. I'm preaching to you. What did I start out talking about? Jabez prayer. Amen. If you're not here on Wednesday nights, you're missing blessings. We're talking some really good stuff out of the word of the Lord. Amen. I want to be in a place of undeserved privilege. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Oh, that's powerful, isn't it? I want to share God's glory. God, bring the glory. Hallelujah. Oh, wait. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. We like the glory part, but we like to skip past the problems and trials. Amen? We're not going to be able to skip past problems and trials. Life is not a DVD that you can press fast forward or grab the little slider bar and jump to a new place in the show. No, my friend, you can't fast forward through the problems and trials of life. You're going to have them. But when they come, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop what? Patience in the King James, patience. And the New Living Translation, endurance, mean the same thing. Can you run a marathon without patience? Who's the fastest man on the planet? It's not Hussein Bolt anymore, but he used to be, right? Hussein Bolt, how fast could he run 100 meters? Do you remember? That's pretty quick, isn't it? How far is 100 meters? 300 feet. From here to, I don't know, from one end of the property to another. That's, that's close. One end of the property to another. Can you run that in 10 point some odd seconds? No! I'd be good to get out of my car in 10 seconds. Amen. 
There you go, 9.58 seconds. That's fast. But you know what Hussein Bolt could not do? Run the Boston Marathon. I mean, he could, but he'd be embarrassed. Because there's one thing to be able to run fast for a short period of time. Cheetahs, leopards, other fast predators. They can run an extreme burst of speed. But you know what you have to do to stay alive? You have to outlast them. You have to be able to keep going once they get tired. Because fast runners typically run sprints. Short distances. Oh, no, it can be demoralizing how fast that thing comes at you in that short distance. But you know what? The marathon is not about running fast. The marathon is about running long. Amen. It is about enduring. I have read the stories, never tried to run a marathon. Don't think I ever will. God bless you. Amen. But I've talked to marathon runners. I interviewed with a lady years ago. I walked into her office, a job interview, and uh, she said, apologies for wearing these tennis shoes, whatever she had on. She said, I, my husband and I are training for a full marathon. And we ran, I can't remember how many miles she said, just last weekend we ran all these miles and our toenails fell off. I had a boss, he ran the marathons. He talked about how his shirt irritated his skin so much that he was bleeding profusely by the time he crossed the finish line. Read the stories of people passing out and even dying trying to run marathons. It is grueling. Try to be an Ironman someday. Amen. God bless you if you want to do something like that. It is a crazy amount of endurance. It takes strength. It takes being able to deaden yourself to the pain. It takes being able to work past the, the exhaustion and the thirst and, and the fear. All of that works against you. But friend, if you're going to make it through to the finish line, you have to learn to endure. Hallelujah. It's not about running fast. Praise God for the great times and wonderful services where we sprint in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. When there's victory, when there's excitement. But friend, half the time, no more. It's about 95% of the time. It's not running fast in God. It's running long and steady and enduring in the race. Hallelujah. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance or patience. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Amen. Friend, the psalmist said, God, let me suffer much adversity. But you know what? That adversity builds patience, builds endurance, builds the ability, as Ephesians says, put on the whole armor of God, do this, do that, so that when it's all said and done, you're still standing. Praise God. All the battle around you, you're still standing. Quickly, I have two more scriptures to share with you, and then we're done. Amen. Uh, where am I going here? Um, 2 Corinthians 12. 
2 Corinthians 12. Paul's famous description of what is called a thorn in the flesh. This statement from Paul, this revelation from Paul is fascinating because we don't like to think of God sending a messenger from Satan to torment us. We like to think of angels helping us, lest we dash our foot against a stone. Amen? We like to think of the blessing of the Lord around us. We like to think of all the good things that God helps us go through. Paul said, got a unique testimony here, guys. I was caught up to paradise. Heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Verse 5, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. Wait. How many times do you hear people boasting about how weak they are? How dumb they are? I do all the time. We like to, when we're, most of us, like to talk about the good things about us, right? Paul said, I'm not going to talk about good things. I'm going to talk about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so. I'd be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they see in my life or hear my message, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. That's kind of embarrassing, I think. Does it sound embarrassing? Hey, guys. God saw that I was going to become arrogant and boastful about what he's done for me. And I couldn't handle what God had done for me. And it was so bad that God said, um, I'm going to do to you what we do to Kinsey. Anyone know who Kinsey is when I say Kinsey? Yeah, my little white rescue dog, one of the two. Kenzie is eight pounds, tiny little thing, but she thinks she owns the world. And she likes to bark, unfortunately. When the squirrel comes up on the fence, she barks. When somebody walks their dogs outside the fence, she barks. When she wants to, for no particular reason, she barks. We have this little thing called, what is the technical term? That's the common term. And shock mode. But honestly, she doesn't care about the shock. It's the buzz mode, where you can buzz with the remote, and that collar goes does no pain at all, it causes no pain, but it drives her badly. And when she starts, yip, 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 my wife goes for the button. And it's amazing when it works how quiet things get, just like that. And in fact, she's learned the association of the collar. Most of the time, she won't even try to bark 
just because we put the collar on there. The remote's dead. It's not charged. It's not doing anything. Can't do anything. But just the fact that she has this collar on her, she knows that the possibility is there that if she gets out of line and starts yapping, she's going to get zapped or buzzed, not, not zapped. And she keeps her in line. Paul said, God gave me a shock collar. Amen. God said, I don't want you getting proud. I don't, and you're going to get proud. I know you, Paul. And I'm going to not, not going to just depend on you being humble enough to pray, crucify yourself daily. All that's good. But you know what? You've got a problem, Paul. And I don't want to see you lost because of what I'm doing in you. So I'm going to get a shock collar for you, Paul. This shock collar is, the model is called Messenger of Satan. And it's going to be like a thorn in your flesh. Don't thorns in our flesh feel good? How many of you ever gotten a splinter? Do you think of anything else while that splinter's in your hand? No! Oh, that hurts! It's like a hangnail, right? But worse. Paul said, God gave me a messenger from Satan to torment me. Wait, that doesn't sound good, God. Surely you love me enough to just teach me and say, oh, don't do that. Amen. I really am finishing, but think of this. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, and keep me from becoming proud. And we're not talking kitty play here, friend. Paul was tormented by this thorn in the flesh. So much that he says three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Please, God, take it away. Take it away, Lord. Come on, have we ever done that? Yeah. Sometimes the hardship, sometimes the adversity becomes so much, so painful. We beg God, please, please, just please take it away. Stand if you will, please. I'll skip the other. We'll save the other for later. This will finish with this passage. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace sufficient. is sufficient. For it's you. all you need. My power, King James says what? Yes. My strength is made perfect. In what? In weakness. My power works best in weakness. Friend, God wants to do incredible things in our lives, but sometimes we keep him from doing those things in our lives. That's right. We limit God. We're too self-sufficient to really say, God, I need your help. You've seen the show, right? 
where the cops try to arrest the bad person. And the bad person resists. Do things go well when you're resisting arrest? Doesn't go well. And sometimes they have to bring out the shock collar. The taser. I saw a story two days ago. Some, I don't can't remember where it was. Police tried to arrest a guy. He resisted. They tased him. He still managed to break the wires and run away. Next day, guess where he showed up? At the police station with the taser prong still in his back. And he was saying, please get these out of me. <laughs> Sometimes we struggle until God tases us. And then we start saying, okay, Lord, please, please stop. Please, please. Okay, okay, Lord, stop. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll, okay, Lord, Lord, stop. Take it away. God says, my grace is sufficient. My strength is perfected in your weakness. The more you learn to stop resisting God, the more God can be strong in you. And maybe that's why. I told you I wasn't going to try to figure out why. But maybe that's why God allowed happen what happened to the writer of Psalm 71. When he said, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship. Maybe it's because that's the only way God can get through to us. And God didn't relent and say, okay, Paul, okay, okay, fine. I'm sorry you're suffering. I'll take it away. No. Paul, learn to live with it. I want you to have this constant reminder that you need me more than I need you. Amen. My strength is perfected. In your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, Paul says, and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank God for that. God, you've allowed me to suffer much adversity. But you're going to lift me up. You're going to restore me to life. You're going to bring me out of the depths of the earth. God, if this is what I need to go through, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.